Welcome back to podcast number 34, Stan. Wow, 34. We've been thinking about it 34 times. Imagine. And uh, today we're going to be thinking about something that is current in Baptist circles. Uh, People who have been following the news uh, might be aware that our sister denomination, the Convention Baptists, have been grappling with an issue that has come to um, a crisis of late, and there's something to be learned from this whole process. And so we want to talk about uh, what's happening in the news and what are the things that we as a Fellowship Baptist Church and our people can learn from this experience. So Stan, uh, what happened? Well, for some time now, the CBOQ, the Convention Baptists of Ontario, or it's actually Canadian Baptists of Ontario and Quebec. That's, that's the new name, as I understand it. They, they've been wrestling with the problem of a minority of churches within the denomination taking an affirming stance toward at least faithful same-sex unions. And, of course, even very recently, one of their pastors declared that he was actually now a she. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the issue they faced is how tolerant ought we to be uh, can we can we allow this? It's certainly not the majority opinion within the CBOQ. And there has been a, a renewal movement for the last several years within the CBOQ that has been pressing the denomination to actually not only take a kind of official stand, but to enforce it and to say, if if churches don't adhere to our stated position that says... Homosexual practice is sinful, and only heterosexual marriage is justifiable and real. Then they're going, they're going to have to be removed, or they're going to have to leave. Now, so the battle's going on and on. The, the CBOQ has a statement of faith, and they have a, an official statement, which, which represents traditional orthodoxy about homosexuality and marriage, but they have refuse to enforce it, and, and recently at an assembly, they finally officially decided autonomy is the key thing. We have diversity among the churches, but that's a Baptist thing, and we're going to allow diversity on this point. And, and that, that, to me, is tragic, and it does mean that... Um, Pastors, churches within the CBOQ who, who, who cannot, in clear conscience, extend Christian fellowship across those lines are, are going to have to make some hard decisions. I think it illustrates the problem of a Baptist fixation on autonomy, local autonomy, as if that's somehow the supreme ecclesiastical virtue. So these churches or people there are saying, because of the autonomy of local churches, we will decide how, what we will believe and what we will practice, but somehow we'll still be part of another movement. Well, what is the basis of that union then, if churches in their autonomy are doing whatever they want? I mean, how, how much latitude does autonomy give you? 
Well, when you fixate on autonomy, it gives you all kinds of latitude. You can go almost anywhere and say, hey, you know, Baptists recognize the autonomy of the local church. We're good Baptists, even though we conduct same-sex weddings. Or don't baptize. I mean, how? Well, theoretically, it could go almost anywhere, uh, which all sounds strange. I, I mean, it would mean in the end, you, you can basically be a Baptist and believe almost anything, which, which is ridiculous, frankly. But, but it's where you end up if you say, okay, we have this statement of faith, but it's not really binding, and we're not going to enforce it. And yes, if you're a member church, you, you somehow say, this is what I affirm, but you don't have to really affirm it in practice. And, I mean, even in our circles, Fellowship Baptist circles, we, we have a history, I think, of a fixation on autonomy. In fact, our, our denominational affirmation of faith embarrasses me a bit in the language it uses about autonomy. Every local church is a sovereign, independent body with, that, that has its own rights, precept, gifts, precepts, and privileges from Christ, the head of the church. I mean, I asked one of our former presidents, every local church has its own precepts from the Lord? What does that mean? And the answer was, I have no idea. So we, we have our own history of a kind of, I think, excessive fixation on autonomy. And we need to recognize. I didn't know. I, yeah, those words are are interesting and maybe even troubling. I I know what it's like to be a Fellowship Baptist, and I'm happy it, it kind of works, and and hopefully uh, we don't drill down too deeply into those the implications of those words. But I I can see how it would lead. It can lead to an unhealthy fixation. But we do have a fairly good unity in our movement, and whatever autonomy means, it, it, it seems to work for us for the now? Yeah, it, it does. And I, I think the reality on the ground is that attitudes within our denomination about autonomy and connection are, are much healthier than that extreme language of their affirmation of faith would seem to suggest. We, we have, we, in fact, we have a growing sense of connection. Stronger together is the language here in Ontario and English Quebec, Feb Central. I, I think on the ground, the reality is very good, and I appreciate that. And, and from the beginning, within, within our denomination, the, the, the doctrinal statement or affirmation of faith has been considered binding. Mm-hmm. If a church denied any of that, then then they simply have to leave, whether by their choice or by being Now, removed. there would be people... By the way, we came out of the old convention. We Maybe did. some of our hearers might we not did. know this. We did. And the reason we came out was doctrine. Right. Uh, we could not... We were intolerant, if I can use that term in the right historical way. We were intolerant of some of the innovations, the theological innovations and so-called progressive ideas. And uh, we were called fundamentalists back then. We were. Because we wouldn't budge. And I think the spirit of that controversy is resurfacing now in that organization once again. But Stan, isn't it charitable? And, and charity is a good thing. Love and unity. Jesus wants the, the, the Christian household, the tent, to be a, a unity. He prayed for unity. 
just devil's advocate here, wouldn't it be better for us to err on the side of uh, being magnanimous and including in our tent uh, people, churches that are errant in some way with the hope that maybe they'll be influenced by the larger body? Uh, But to say um, you're no longer welcome in our fellowship, that just people might say that doesn't sound Christian. Yeah, I get that. It it, it doesn't uh, on the surface. But then when you dig deeper into Scripture, you find not only only the instruction that we must affirm our unity with all those who give credible evidence of belonging to Christ. And and over the years, I I have had an increasing appreciation for that, that sense of the unity of the visible church. That is very, very important. Jesus even said, one of the ways the world will be convinced that the Father sent him to save the world, and that is by the visible unity among his people. And yet, the same apostles who write about unity also write about false teaching, Mm -hmm. rejecting false teaching, and excluding false teachers. I mean, if you read Paul's epistle to the Galatians, you, you don't find Paul saying, you know, the Judaizers have not got it quite right, but, but you know, God we, love them. We, can, we can still stay together. We can make this work. What he says is, they preach another gospel and let them be accursed. Um, in fact, later in the epistle, he even says, if they want to focus on circumcision, let mm-hmm. them go all the way and emasculate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, to our ears, that sounds awfully brutal. I get that. But, I mean, John in, in, in Second John says if someone comes and, and transgresses the, the faithful teaching about the person of Christ, you don't welcome him. Mm-hmm. You don't give him hospitality as a teacher of the word. So... Yes, unity is is valuable and precious, and and too often in in our conservative evangelical circles, we haven't paid enough attention to that. But there are limits mm-hmm. to it. There are doctrinal limits, and as as John says in Second John, if you if you extend that fellowship, that hospitality to that that teacher who violates essential Christian truth, you share in his evil deeds. Mm-hmm. So we do have to draw some lines. And, and on the line that we're talking about that, that's now being debated in the CBOQ, that, that sexuality line, we're talking about kingdom-excluding behavior, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 6. Those who practice that kind of lifestyle won't inherit the kingdom. We we aren't talking about a different prophecy chart. We aren't talking about Calvinists and Arminians. We're we're talking about those who deny very essential. Okay, how truth. is it possible that in a Baptist movement that, uh, according to their articles, has a high view of Scripture? How is it possible that this? Um, I think it's the gathering movement. That's what they call themselves. It's a movement yeah. within the denomination to uh, recognize same-sex union. How does that happen? Well, partly it happens because 
to if when I affirm that I believe in the inerrancy or infallibility of Scripture, that says I'm prepared to believe whatever whatever I understand Scripture to teach, but it doesn't answer any of the questions about what Scripture teaches. And so you have people who say, "You've you've simply we've misread Scripture all these centuries." Church Universal has misread Scripture on homosexuality. But if you read Scripture as a whole, taken in its historical and social context, if you understand the underlying intention of the particular text, well, we can read them differently. So it's, it's possible to affirm the principle of biblical infallibility while being very fatally wrong on on what you take it to mean. Now, many of them, they want it to mean certain things mm-hmm. because they want to justify a certain kind of lifestyle. But mere affirmation of a doctrinal statement in itself doesn't guarantee what we want. We have to press further and ask, okay, what exactly do you understand? What do you mean by that? So the, it, it's an ongoing battle, and I'm so grateful that in our own denomination, recent, in recent years, we finally have adopted a policy statement mechanism that allows us to define the limits of fellowship on, on significant issues that arise over time that, that weren't even thought about when our mm-hmm. doctrinal statement was written mm-hmm. in 1953. Mm-hmm. No doctrinal statement can deal with everything in right. advance. But we now have a mechanism that allows us to make binding statements that say to member churches, I mean, you have freedom to make your own decision, but if you make a decision to cross that line, then you've made a decision mm-hmm. to, to not be a part of our fellowship. Now, Stan, I suspect that um, one of the reasons, like you said, this is what I want it to read. You know, people approach scripture sometimes with a bias and i fear that the the desire to be accepted to be commended by our culture and just the weariness of being looked at with suspicion and sometimes vitriol uh, can lead someone to the scriptures like is there any other way i can read this thing i am so weary of being the villain and the bad guy surely there's another spin on this and so we go to the scripture Uh, with the fear of man driving us and the desire for respect and credibility. And lo and behold, if we don't find it, and and we're open to that. And I think every evangelical needs to understand up front that we will not ever be loved by this world. We need to wear that badge as a badge of honor, not that we love it and we go looking for it, but this this idea that somehow we've got to be well-spoken of by all men I, I just think it's a it's a dangerous road. Well, it's a der- terribly dangerous road. It's an awful temptation, and and it is so easy to go down that road. I mean, mm-hmm. it would it would be a lot less painful. There'd be a lot less tension living in relation to our wider culture right now if we could say, "Hey, God made them that way. We give our blessing to same-sex mm-hmm. unions. Of course, we're good Canadians. And in, in, in my experience, can, Canadians, 
Canadians have a hard time drawing hard lines and saying that far and no farther. We, we, no, we cannot tolerate that. We, we want to be the peaceable kingdom. We want to live together happily. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to separate from others. And, and there's a lot about that that's good. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if I enjoy the idea of separating from others, that's not good. Yeah. But I can't be faithful to Christ and the gospel if I say, I'll bend scripture to fit the prevailing mood of my culture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a terrible temptation. Life would be less painful yeah. if we did that, but we can't do it. Uh, Jesus said you'll be hated by all men. Now, fortunately, that's not every single man and woman. No, it's a generalization, but we have to be prepared to accept that. Yeah, yeah. But, but the wonderful thing is people whose hearts he opens... They love the message of the gospel, and uh, when they receive Christ, they enter into a beautiful unity that uh, is far greater than any unity we might appreciate in the world. Uh, Stan, we're out of time. Oh, yet again. Out of again. So uh, we're going to have to maybe carry this on another time, maybe when we get an update on the development of uh, what's going on in Capitol Hill from our last broadcast, and even with the uh, the the crisis, if I can call it that, in the old convention. We'll have to pray that uh, churches of conscience uh, will be led by the Spirit of God to do the right thing. So thanks for listening to us. I'm Bob McGregor. I'm Stan Fowler. Keep on thinking about it. (laughs) 